Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Someone once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Can we relate? Do you ever get lost in the everyday of life? You know, we can become so focused on all the tasks, all the things on our to-do list, that sometimes we can miss the moments that are right there in front of us. The people, the opportunities, the perspective, the direction. We can get so discouraged, right, by what we perceive are interruptions, distractions, frustrations, setbacks. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the day-to-day of what we have to do that we can miss what God is doing, how the Lord is calling us, preparing us, shaping us, leading us into a life-changing moment. As we return to 1 Samuel, we're going to look together today at a long section, chapters 9 through 11. And today's story is about one of those moments, what we might call a divine appointment. An ordinary guy named Samuel, somebody just like you and me, is going to start his day believing that he's to be focused on a single task, thinking he's supposed to be headed in one direction, when along the way, he comes to realize, as he ends up somewhere unexpected, that all along the way, the Lord had other plans for his life. The part of Saul's story that we're actually going to hear read out loud in just a moment is the culmination of that journey. It's the end point. But after we hear this reading, we're going to go double back and see how Saul got to where he never expected to be. And then we'll even take a brief look at what came next for Saul. So again, keep your Bibles open because as I said, we're covering a lot of ground today. For now, let's listen to 1 Samuel chapter 10, starting with verse 17. Hello, Grace. Today's reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we just heard where Saul ended up, becoming the first king of Israel. But now, let me briefly summarize how Saul got here. 
During our Ash Wednesday service this past week, we focused on chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. Now, if you weren't able to be a part of that service, here's what you missed in the story of 1 Samuel. Many years had passed, many years had passed since the Lord delivered Israel from their enemy, the Philistines. And they had been given a long season of peace and prosperity. But now, as Samuel the prophet, the priest, the judge of the tribes of Israel has grown older and was attempting to pass the mantle of leadership to his sons, the people balk, having had other ideas. They want a king. The presence and provision of the Lord God was no longer enough for them. They wanted a king to be like all the other nations, even though being like all the other nations was never who Israel was created to be. Israel was birthed. Israel had been nurtured by God to be a light to the nations. Through Samuel, the Lord tried to warn the people that what they were asking for, an earthly king would end up being more like an Egyptian pharaoh, the very kind of leadership that their ancestors had been set free from. Leadership and governance that takes more than it gives, that inevitably, eventually, enslaves those it is supposed to serve. And yet, despite this caution from God, the people remain insistent they want a king. A king who they believe they can control and steer in the direction they want to go. To fight the battles they want to fight. Rather than living their lives always being dictated and controlled by their one heavenly king, the Lord God. So, in a surprising but gracious gesture of tough love, the Lord gives the people what they want. And through Samuel, the Lord sets out to deliver to Israel her first earthly king. And that brings us to chapter 9, where we meet a man from the tribe of Benjamin named Saul. Saul, we're told, is a good-looking guy, and quite tall to boot, physically standing head and shoulders above your average Israelite. Right from the start, right from the get-go in chapter 9, what's being implied is that Saul fits the bill. He's physically the perfect casting choice for the kind of king Israel thought she needed, the kind of imposing leader to represent the people before all the other nations. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. When we meet Saul, he isn't leading anybody. Saul is following after some donkeys that belong to his father Kish, donkeys that have gone missing. Saul, accompanied by one of his father's servants, travels for three days looking all over the territories of the tribes of Ephraim and Benjamin, finally ending up in the land of Zuf. But their search for these donkeys comes up empty. And it's emptiness that we come into Saul's life, but that doesn't mean that his journey was without purpose. Now, by this point, Saul is ready to call it quits. His father's probably worrying about him. Saul is pretty much out of food and money. So he thinks, you know what, it's time to pack it in. It's time to turn back and go home. But Saul's servant suggests a different path. There's a man of God, a prophet of the Lord nearby, the servant says. And the servant encourages Saul to try and find that prophet to see if maybe he can help. Saul reluctantly agrees with this plan, and off they go. And then, before they get too far, it just so happens Saul and his servant run into a group of women who reveal to them their seemingly serendipitous time of arrival. The prophet of the Lord they're looking for has just happened to come into their town today, the town that Saul and his servant already find themselves entering. Having been directed by these women, as Saul is trying to determine the exact location of this prophet who he's never met before, it just so happens 
that the person he's looking for, the prophet named Samuel, bumps into Saul as he's walking along the road. The prophet Samuel invites Saul and his servant to a meal, reassuring them that the lost donkeys have been found. On their way to dinner, on their way to dinner, Samuel hints at something that is going to change Saul's life. He says that Saul is the one desired by all Israel. In other words, he, Saul, is the one the Lord has chosen to be king. Now, Saul responds by balking about his ancestry, questioning his own qualifications, but Samuel pays Saul's protestations no mind as he gives Saul a head seat before 30 invited guests at the feast that he has prepared. And along the way, he also gives to Saul the best portion of the meal. Samuel then hosts Saul and his servant overnight. And seeing them off the next morning, Samuel sends Saul's servant on ahead so that he can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Saul. And in that conversation, he does two things to reaffirm that Saul has indeed been chosen by God to be the first king of Israel. First, he smears olive oil on Saul's head. It's a ceremonial rite that's called anointing. And being anointing in the Bible indicates a person has been dedicated or commissioned by God. Now, up to this moment, it's a rite that's been reserved strictly for the priests of the Lord. But now, Saul's appointment as the first king of Israel is affirmed through his anointing by Samuel. The second thing that Samuel does is he tells Saul exactly what will happen to Saul for the rest of the day as Saul is traveling back home. He says three things are going to occur. Samuel first is going to see two women at a famous gravesite, Rachel's tomb, where the ancient patriarch Jacob's beloved wife was buried. And these women would tell Saul that the donkeys he'd been looking for were now back at Saul's father's house. Next, the second thing that would happen is that Saul would come to what was called the Great Tree of Tabor. And there, Saul would come across three men on their way to Bethel to worship the Lord. And from their provisions, their intended, what they intended as part of their worship, these men will make an offering to Saul from their food of two loaves of bread. Finally, the third thing that will happen is when Saul comes to a town in, in Gilbea, he will meet a group of prophets who are playing musical instruments and prophesying about God. And during that encounter, Saul will be filled with the Holy Spirit and join this group in their charismatic worship of the Lord. And it just so happened. Are we noticing that I'm using that phrase a lot? Hmm. And it just so happened. All three of these experiences came to pass exactly as Samuel had described to Saul meeting the two women and getting the word about the donkeys, bumping into the men and receiving an offering of bread and running into the prophetic musicians through the prompting of the Spirit, joining them in their worship concert. All three things came to pass. Now, Samuel also told Saul, when these things have happened, go to Gilgah and wait for me. And whatever reservations or doubts Saul may have previously had are countered by these three not-so-coincidental signs from the Lord. And so Saul waits for Samuel as instructed. Saul, however, has little time to absorb this astounding turn of events in his life as the prophet Samuel's next move is to call for a holy convocation to be held at one of his favored places, Mizpah. The last time all the tribes of Israel were gathered at Mizpah, it was for a big tent spiritual revival service in chapter 7 where Israel in unison worshipped the Lord while the Lord thundered, single-handedly defeating the threat that was advancing toward them, the army of the Philistines. 
No doubt, they are gathered now again by Samuel at this place at Mizpah to reinforce to Israel who their real deliverer was so that the people would not put too much confidence in the king they were asking for. In fact, Samuel begins by reminding the people their request for a king is a rejection of God's leadership. But as the search for a king is over, as Samuel prepares to reveal the Lord's selection for a king of Israel, he wants to make the point that while this may be God's allowance and accommodation for his people, this is still Israel's ideal and not God's idea for them. The tribe of Benjamin is identified as lots or cast to discern who the first king of Israel is. Notice I said who the first king of Israel is. I didn't say who the first king of Israel will be. This isn't an election by the people. No, this is the revelation of God's selection for the people. Casting lots is sometimes used in the Bible to discern God's will. And here, casting lots shows all of Israel that Saul was the Lord's choice, not Samuel's. Whereas Saul's anointing by Samuel had been private, it's important that his selection by God be evidenced by Lot in public. Saul is the Lord's choice for the people's king. But when his name is finally called, Saul is nowhere to be found. Even Samuel can't find him. So the Lord directs Samuel and the people where to locate their new king. And where is Saul? Saul is hiding behind the people's baggage. Don't forget this image. Saul is hiding behind the people's baggage. That image is going to be important, not today, but later in the story of Saul. Now, upon finding and seeing Saul, the people think, man, he looks like the perfect guy for the job. Again, a man literally head and shoulders above all the rest in Israel. And so they shout, long live the king. But not everyone is rejoicing in the Lord's choice of Saul. There's always a few critics in the crowd, right? And these particular naysayers are likely members of the southern tribes of Israel. And they're not too keen on some guy from the northern tribes ruling over them. I don't know about you, but I don't know whether it's good or bad to know that polarization born of politics isn't something new, but goes all the way back to the Bible. Anyway, these critics make the same mistake all partisans who claim to profess faith in God do. They're hand-wringing over their would-be candidate not being selected, rather than remembering that it's the Lord alone. It's the Lord alone who is the real source of their hope, of all our hopes. So, King Saul begins his tenure with some opposition. But as chapter 11 reveals, Saul soon gets his opportunity to prove himself and quiet his critics. An Ammonite named Nahash besieges one of Israel's cities named Jabesh Gilead. An attempt to a, for a peace treaty with the Ammonites is rebuffed with violent threats. So, King Saul rallies his people. He rallies 330,000 soldiers to come out and defend Jabesh Gilead. The Ammonites are swiftly defeated, and King Saul's approval ratings soar. Now, in their zeal and patriotism over this victory, some in Israel want to punish and kill those who criticized the selection of Saul as king earlier. But King Saul, to his credit, will have none of it. He'll have none of it. Saul not only foregoes vengeance, he also gives the credit where the credit is due. As he declares, no one will be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Instead of public executions, the people gather back at Gilgah, 
and led by Samuel, they renewed the kingship of Saul, now with the full support of all Israel. Sacrificing peace offerings before Yahweh, Saul and the Israelites rejoice greatly. Now, for as thorough as I hope I've been in summarizing this part of Saul's story, I also encourage you to read about this fascinating journey in chapters 9 through 11 on your own. Or join me for a more in-depth look through our online Bible study via Zoom, always offered on Wednesday evenings. More information's on our website. But for now, let's reflect on this story that unfolds the ways in which an ordinary, everyday person named Saul is chosen, designated, and empowered to be the first king of Israel. It's a story, as we read, as we heard, that's filled with a lot of, and it just so happened. It's a biblical story that's either filled with a lot of strange coincidences, or a story that suggests that not everything that just seems to fall into place being at the right place at the right time, that not everything is a coincidence. In fact, early on, the one who records these events goes out of the way to specifically show us that none of what happened that day in Saul's life was by chance. If we look back at chapter 9, specifically verses 15 to 16, the narrator offers us a flashback sequence of a conversation between the Lord and the prophet Samuel on the day before all these events unfold in Saul's life. So when the next day comes, what looked to be just another routine day for Saul, life on a farm, chasing after some stray animals, what seemed like an ordinary routine day, turns out to be a journey of revelation and purpose that changes Saul's life forever. A search that at first looks to be of no avail, fruitless, ends up becoming the discovery of something unexpected, something that Saul wasn't even looking for. While Saul is out looking for donkeys, the Lord, through the prophet Samuel, is looking for Saul to become the next king of Israel. What looks like the ordinary life of a farm boy suddenly becomes quite extraordinary through the providence of God. Here, we see a picture of how the Lord can and does work in and through the ordinary moments of our lives. Now, to be clear, it's a descriptive picture. It's not a prescriptive one. It's a picture of how the Lord can work in our lives. It's not a formula for how the Lord always moves in our lives. Are we listening carefully? Are we listening carefully, especially those of us who are thinking or saying out loud right now, yep, everything happens with God for a reason. That's not what I just said. That's not what I just said. That's not what the Bible declares. That may be what happened in this snapshot from Saul's life, but that's not what happens every day, every waking moment in Saul's life thereafter. What we see here is not some rule about how and why everything happens. Again, it's a picture of how God does sometimes work in and through our lives. If every moment is a divine appointment, then there is no such thing as a divine appointment. Appointments stand out because they're appointed times, not everyday occurrences. Another way of expressing this is to acknowledge there are such things as coincidences. Living in a broken world where chaos and randomness exist, it is possible for stuff to just happen. For an unexpected, surprising, even a remarkable concurrence of events or circumstances to take place for no reason, without any casual connection or causal connection. 
Something really important to notice in Saul's story. Nowhere, nowhere is it said that the Lord God made all these things happen in Saul's life. The search for the donkeys, encountering Saul on the, Samuel on the road, even the three signs that Samuel gives Saul to confirm that the Lord was truly with him. Nowhere does it say the Lord orchestrates all these encounters. What is clear from what God tells Samuel the previous day is the Lord is going to work in and through the events of Saul's life on the next day to serve his purpose. While experiences and moments in our lives may surprise us, they do not ever surprise the Lord. But this doesn't mean that God has pre-scripted everything that happens in every moment of our lives. That is not what is meant biblically by the providence of God. The Lord's providence is the Lord's provision in our lives. The providence of God refers to the Lord's ability to work in, through, and despite the real choices and decisions we make in order to provide what he has promised. The transformation of all life and creation as we knew it, know it, making all things new, including us. While the Bible doesn't ever tell us, doesn't ever tell us everything happens for a reason, God does promise through his word that he can make all things work together for the good of those who love him. Not everything that happens to us is a message or prompting from God. But at the same time, the Lord can and will work through everything that happens to us, good or bad, in order to accomplish his plans for us and for all the world. Again, what we learn from this moment in Saul's life is divine appointments are real. We witness divine appointments all over the Bible. Think about it. Abraham meeting Melchizedek, Ruth meeting Boaz, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, the Apostle Paul encountering the believers at Philippi, and Saul meeting Samuel. Sometimes, not all the time, again, not all the time, but sometimes the Lord does call us by name. The Lord does point us in a certain direction. The Lord does lead us to a particular person or into a specific situation because God is looking to reveal an opportunity, a calling, a particular purpose that he has for us. But here's the thing. Here's the thing we learn from this snapshot in Saul's life. We don't have to go looking for those divine appointments because God will come looking for us. Saul didn't take any initiative in this encounter. He didn't take any initiative. Through the prophet Samuel, the Lord initiated with Saul. And let's go even a step further. Let's go a step further and take a step into perceiving the gospel, the grace of God yet again in the pages of the Old Testament long before Jesus ever comes to us. Here it is. Saul does nothing to merit or deserve this divine appointment with God. Nothing is stated as to why Saul is chosen by the Lord to be Israel's first king, other than the Lord chose Saul to be king. In fact, Saul himself even remarks on this. Do you remember viewing himself as being the smallest in the tribe of Israel, that his clan was the least of all the clans in the tribe of Benjamin? Divine appointments, however, are not Based. They're not set based on how the world views us. Divine appointments are not based on pre-qualifications. They're not based on submitting a resume or even gaining any experience. No, the Lord in his grace invites us to come and follow him, regardless of what we've done or haven't done, regardless of where we've been or where we're going, regardless of whether we've failed 
regardless of our measure of our value and worth, regardless of our perceived sense of readiness. From initially wanting to give up and go home, to eventually, after all he's heard and witnessed, still hiding in the luggage when his name gets called, as the king of Israel, Saul is pretty clueless and inept throughout this whole story. And yet the Lord still calls. The Lord still leads. The Lord still empowers Saul to move forward. My friends, the Lord not only invites us, but oftentimes meets us in the present circumstances of our lives, in the midst of our searching, while we are focused on something else entirely and lays the path before us, the next steps we need to take. Saul doesn't initiate this divine appointment. Saul doesn't merit or somehow earn this divine appointment. Saul doesn't even at first fully understand the divine appointment he is experiencing. All Saul has to do, all Saul can do, is lean into the Lord's presence and provision. To listen to the Lord speak through his traveling companion, his father's servant. To listen to the Lord speak through his prophet Samuel. To wait, see, and believe in the signs the Lord is giving him along the way. To receive, to trust, and to rely on the empowerment the Lord provides through his anointing, his public coronation, and his victory in battle. Something else we powerfully see in this story is Saul's transformation as he leans into the Lord's provision and presence. More specifically, as Saul is filled with God's spirit. Saul, by the grace of God, transforms from an unsuspecting and uncomprehending person and becomes filled with energy and freedom, initiative and wisdom beyond himself. In fact, if you read it carefully, the people around him recognize this change, that Saul somehow becomes a different person. My friends, this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Through the Word and the Spirit of God, Saul receives a new way of being in the world. Saul becomes a new creation. Saul is transformed by God's presence and provision. And for as long as he holds on to this, Saul will be a good king. Saul's transformation is a sign for Israel what Israel is meant to become as a kingdom, of who Israel can become as the people of God. Saul's transformation is a momentary glimpse into what all humanity can become when we not only believe in, but also follow Jesus Christ. Because you see, unlike Saul, unlike the days of Saul where the Holy Spirit comes upon him at a particular time, at a particular place, in a particular moment, thanks to Jesus, only because of the work of Christ, we have the continual indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thanks to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, which covers us and imparts forgiveness, thanks to Jesus' victory over our shared, inescapable, mortal enemy death through the resurrection, thanks to Jesus sending and filling us with his Spirit at Pentecost, we can be changed. We can become who we were always meant to be. We can reflect and embody the reign the kingdom of God, through our words and actions. Because once the Spirit takes hold of us, the Spirit does not let us go. Beloved, sometimes, you know, sometimes we feel like we're walking in circles, going nowhere. Sometimes we think God only works in the big and spectacular moments of life. But today, we've learned sometimes God is at work even in the ordinary even in the seemingly mundane details of our lives. Are there happy accidents? Sure there are. Are there chance encounters? Of course. 
but there are also divine appointments. Have we been missing any of those lately? Not everything happens for a reason, but not everything that happens is a coincidence either. Sometimes, sometimes we catch a heavenly glimpse that we're called to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We may not be called to be a king of Israel like Saul, but we have all been called and commissioned like Saul to be a part of the kingdom that God is building here on earth. So let us walk in the truth and the promises the Lord has deposited in us. Let us keep our heads up, our eyes and our ears open, and our hearts and minds attentive to the guidance and direction the Lord continues to offer us. Let us lean into where the Lord is speaking to where Christ is obviously present and working in those relationships, those situations where it's obvious the Spirit is moving. And instead of being too busy, instead of being insistent on what we're doing, instead of being so demanding about what we want to make happen, of where we insist on going, let us receive the Lord's divine appointment. The Lord can work despite us, but the Lord's invitation is to work in and through us. So the next time we're turned aside from the path we designated for ourselves, the next time we're thrown off course from the the direction we decided to take, the next time we're tempted to just give up and go home, let's not be too rash. Let's take care not to act too quickly. But instead, let us abide in the Word and the Spirit. Let's take our next cue, not from the best we can come up with, not from the wisdom of the world, but from the divine presence and provision of the God who in Christ has promised to give us a new heart and a new mind, who has previously declared that he seeks to transform this world in and through us, the God who is working all the time in the midst of whatever else is happening to bring about something new, something good, the best that we could ever imagine or hope for. Amen. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.